0: Weird Things is brought to you by Patreon.com slash Weird Things. Support the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Intermeen, joined by Mr. Brian Brushwood. Hello. Mr. Bryce Castillo.
0: Hello. That's right. Those three guys. It's always the three of one, us. One the blonde, three. two brunette. No gray hairs around here. What no do you gray call hair. a fourth leg on a stool? Uh, a chair. Stay, uh, oh. A stair.
2: Yeah, you call it a stair. Useless. <laughs> stair <chair>. Useless. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. Okay. A All back.
1: Right. A good backing for your for my <laughs> yeah. lumbar. I mean, it may make it slightly safer, but still. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, Hello. Hey, look up. Everybody look up. Uh, All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Maybe we ate 90 minutes. It'll pass. Did you see it? uh, What what was there a bug? Boeing Starliner's (laughs) docked at the ISS. Remember the Boeing Starliner, our other crew capsule that was supposed to ferry astronauts to the National Space Station? I hate that
0: I'm the one going to ask this, but uh, remind
1: me again which one that was. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So, NASA, age, eons ago, is like, hey, you know what's cool? Eons ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eons ago. You know what's cool? Space. You know what's cool to astronauts in space? You know what's really, really cool? Getting astronauts into space. Um, we're shutting down this space shuttle, and, well, you know, we have our reliable partners, the Russians. What could go wrong? <laughs> so- I mean, I mean
0: yeah, they're a little bit off-kilter, but seriously, what is the craziest thing that they might try yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. so nasa had decided they looked at the timetables to try to develop their own you know a timetable for developing let's say the sls with the orion spacecraft not to mention the fact that it was just horrendously expensive It cheaper to basically go go to war with a new country every week than keep launching that but hold on let me get a pen
2: yeah (laughs) they uh
1: they uh nasa did a program had started the program which was like hey let's just ask people to bid prices and then you say you will do it for this, then you will do it for that price. I mean, it's a novel concept, you know, like like we're not used to that idea of like, hey brian, i I'm sorry
0: ed Ed NASA, you know I love you. I mean that's why I'm your uh, second in command. i I've got your back. Right? Mm-hmm. uh just throwing this out here what's say let's say we do hey, the bidding thing, great, great what's what's say, like, you know? If they need a little more cashola, we just give it to them.
1: Well, I, mm. I went to a store and I bought a thing. Yeah. Okay. I, I need to buy a hat. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. I paid $10 for it. Okay,
0: okay. but,
1: but, but they bidded it long. up
0: and they said that it would only be 5 and then on checkout, it turned out to be 10 right?
1: No, right. it's just 10 and then I took it home— and it was still and, ten.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, but 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 like it was after the it fight? was defective, and there was nothing you could do
2: about it. It blew up, right? It blew up on. Well, your actually, head, no. It
1: or... was broken. I took it back to them, and they replaced it. Wait,
2: for another for, twenty, another ten. Yeah. $20. No, no, for
1: free, for free, because they are the ones that screwed I, it up. I, I,
0: I'm sorry, I, uh... I, um, uh, Ed NASA. Uh, I have an assistant, uh, uh, Bed Nassau. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm bed. bed. Bed, We gotta talk about Ed. He seems down NASA. a little
2: and upside down. I don't know where he's getting this idea that transactions are limited and singular. Uh, uh, What's
0: well? Let's just let. It's not like they'll ever actually make it to the space station. Ed. Anyway, Ed. Ed. We agree. Bed and me, Gred. Sick. Bed,
2: yeah. Greg. We're going to try Gred this, this crazy.
1: I say we try this crazy economic model. Where people agree to sell us something for a price, and we hold them to it,
2: wow, that would be uh that would not I, that's not the way we do it now. I agree with that in all principle, every single one, but
0: you know how sometimes people go out on a ship or a boat and they decide they're in international waters, so land rules don't apply. That's mm. how it is with space. are you sure
1: are you sure the rules apply in space? Well, we're going to make them apply so. Uh, NASA said, Hey, we're taking bids for who wants to try to provide crew to assist. We're, we're going to pay for seats. We're just going to pay. We're not paying for spaceships. We're going to pay people to send people to the spaceship. You got a teleporter. Great. We'll pay you to use that. We don't care. You design your own rocket is that's the other thing is Brian is like, instead of telling them that my hat had to have like three tricorns on it and some things that just didn't need at all, which is going to run up the price. I just said I needed a hat that protect me from the sun in this case. They're like, get our astronauts to the space station. Alive! Alive, mind you. Uh, (laughs)
2: Um, Okay. Um.
1: And they took several bids. This is going back years ago. They took several bids, and the winning bids were SpaceX with the Crew Dragon and Boeing with the Starliner. And at the time... There was this. Remember this. There was the question, who is going to get astronauts to space first? And a lot of people like, well, it's going to be Boeing because, you know, they're the experienced space Because experts. they're the ones they, who
0: literally have gotten astronauts to space before.
1: Not anybody working on this program or in living memory, but the name Boeing was on rockets that went to space. So, sure. You know. Or the subsidiaries of companies that Boeing then bought. And, I mean, at the know, very
0: least, they could call and copy off the notes of Northrop Grumman or whatever. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it's
1: like so they
2: include the moon on their corporate map. Like,
1: <laughs> so they Boeing did their Starliner. And I don't know if you've heard the news about Boeing and kind of like their engineering and design pipeline. Oh, is, is, this
0: a, is this a, a sly reference to the
1: 737 MAX? uh yeah they've had some issues and stuff like oh you want safety features too that'll cost you extra (laughs) like Like,
0: i've got like oh i'm sorry i thought we were agreeing like minimum viable product of getting bodies to space now all of a sudden they have to be alive Ooh, yeah. In a world where
2: we have spirit airlines, like it's we can't even that's not the baseline anymore. We ain't, can go lower. Ain't
0: you seen Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan? It's like we could put we we could put you in like a six foot long capsule, some might call it a coffin.
1: We could get that up there. Yeah, we could just throw that around. You're fine. So so there was the debate on hey, like uh, you know, who was gonna make it first? Was it gonna be Boeing or is it SpaceX? Who would get astronauts into space first? Um, I think y'all know where this is going, but do you know how, again, Boeing has yet to fly astronauts into space yet. This was just this, what happened is they launched their Starliner like a year ago and there are several, there were several issues and malfunctions and Boeing's like, no, we got this. We're good to put astronauts on it. And NASA's like, you know what? We still need you to do that whole test mission because he didn't succeed the test mission. That's the point of a test mission is to, you know, show that it succeeds. So Finally, they managed to get it to the International Space Station. You know they haven't done the undocking to bring it back to Earth yet. And I heard there may have been some sort of launch anomaly, whatever, but I don't know the details on that. Um, it was two years ago. Next week, that SpaceX first put astronauts into space. Two uh, years wow. ago,
0: we. Uh, if, if for those who are fairly new to the podcast, one of my favorite aspects of this show is our split personality when it comes to wanting there to be multiple competitors, but also cheering for who's currently winning the race. (laughs) Like,
2: (laughs) like, like, uh, yes, it is, it is. This is a good new piece of news that they did a good test. Sure. That is correct. Uh, but also
0: my goodness, five years ago, we did not expect, uh, uh, team SpaceX to be so far ahead of, of, of the curve
1: yeah and uh the mission by the way it was three years ago that spacex did their unmanned mission wow yeah. and so a three year three year lead you know boeing is now where spacex was three years ago yeah apparently they only lost two thrusters so we're gonna get more data on like were there thruster issues ah.
0: so here's a hypothetical question and i i I want to try to steelman this argument that I don't agree with. I I do believe in intellectual property rights. I understand the reason to protect your innovations through a limited time patent and so on. However, um, remember remember those uh, gliders, the 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 so called hoverboards that that yeah. just popped out of China and nobody could really point to. Where did these come from?
2: Who made mm, them? The two and, wheels. Bing. Correct, yeah, yeah. correct.
0: And and you know, many a collarbone was snapped, many a wrist was, you know, uh, fractured uh because everybody realized uh basically over coffee after work like, oh, we're talking about this. Oh, I have these. We can put all these together. And all of a sudden, we were flooded with hoverboards. And you could objectively say that was not a great time. A lot of unsafe lithium ion battery explodey things were released. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were injured because there was no centralized, you know, thought process through this whole thing on the flip side. My daughter now has the most adorable pony. It's it's, you sit on the pony and you grab it and it's just a pony attached to one of those hoverboards and she's able to ride it around or whatever. And we seem to have settled into a middle ground that works for everyone. So, This is teeing up the question. Hypothetically, uh, understand I'm strong on property rights. I'm strong on intellectual property rights. I
1: believe that- that Hear that, everybody? Stop writing letters. (laughs) uh, uh,
0: uh, SpaceX has I invented that, by the way. SpaceX has earned, with its daring and bold uh, initiatives, the place that it has. However, now it pains me to see so many laggards trying to go their own way with one-time-use rockets or whatever. And- Part of me, and, and this, is, this is antithetical to everything I believe politically, but I do feel a conscientious need to at least consider what it would be like if a lightning bolt struck and everything that, that SpaceX knew, everybody
1: knew. I, I would say the, the patents or the design is 5% of it. And it is a i i highly i highly recommend uh, Tim Dowd, uh, Dowd every day astronaut. He's done a couple. He's he's got a new behind the scenes tour of Starbase with Elon Musk. It is the engineering culture which SpaceX has told people about. This is I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example of something. Okay. Okay. Five years ago, it was about four or five years ago when they're gearing up to do the Model Three production. They had a guy who was an industry, one of these industry analysts paid by you know investment fund managers did the tour of the Tesla factory in Fremont and he wrote his report and it was a scathing report about the Tesla 3 factory. And one of the things he singled out is he said, Hey, you know, they don't know what they're doing. They're making their own seats. He says, They're making their own seats and this is extremely inefficient because to try to try to build seats, Tesla's trying to build everything. He said because they're trying to do building their own seats, this is just a mistake because you can buy those cheaper. You can buy them easier. And it's just Elon Musk doesn't know what he's doing. This is a screw up. This is why I'm putting in a negative rating on the Tesla stock, et cetera, okay? Um, and that was... You know that was like people like yeah this is tesla doesn't know what they're doing everybody else is like a, just buy your seats from some manufacturer in mexico or someplace else like this put them in there and don't have
0: this can i guess that this analysis happened pre-pandemic
1: well not it, it happened pre-pandemic and i have a headline from one week ago rivian who's trying makes these they look great electric car electric pickup trucks Rivian warns dispute with seat suppliers threatens production of Amazon delivery vans. They've got a deal for 100,000 Amazon delivery vans, and they say they're not. And it may be more to it than this, but they say they're not going to be able to do it because they can't get seats.
0: And, and this also, um, uh, not not to conflate Tesla with uh, SpaceX, but certainly there's shared DNA between the two. And in the case of Tesla, we had a microchip shortage where. The default answer, the sensible answer, the answer that no board of directors would question would be a shrug of the shoulders and saying, constraint, supply, uh, delivery, don't have the chips, can't do the thing. And they would be like, yeah, yeah." but but SpaceX, correct me uh, if I'm getting this wrong, said, what if we wrote new code Tesla. to yeah. use? Or sorry, sorry uh, uh, yeah. Tesla. What if we wrote new code to use chips yeah. that we can get our hands on?
1: Yeah, exactly. Tesla. That's the Tesla idea is like there, it's engineering driven. It's engineer driven, not even manager driven. It's engineer driven. And, th- and there may be mistakes. There's, they've had F ups and stuff like this too. But like you pointed out, pre pandemic, it seemed crazy to do that. But also, when you're going for such scale like they're going for, you do want to have control because the problem test Elon realized in trying to build the Model S before, let's say you were trying to produce 20,000 Model S's and you need steering wheels and your steering wheel manufacturer in Korea all of a sudden gets a bulk order from Hyundai, you're being told you're going to have a three-month delay. Right.
0: Or, you, or have, you want to renegotiate the price you're paying per... But
1: mm-hmm. you have 20,000 cars you can't ship because right. of that wheel because that one supplier was able to do that. And now SpaceX is does the same thing with streamlining. The, the amount of stuff they build, people go, that's crazy, but also where they source. We told the example before about... When you have to have, you have to have an air conditioner unit to keep your satellite cool when it's out on the launch pad. And that they, SpaceX goes, t- gets NASA has a ton of resources information and, and SpaceX will use, hey, what do you know about heat tiles? Tell us whatever. Mm-hmm. They went to NASA like, hey, what do you use to keep your satellite cool? Like, oh, we use this company. They're the only company that really makes these. It's a $3 million unit to keep the satellite cool. SpaceX went looked at this like it's an industrial HVAC. And in, in like... Oh no, but it's like no, like no, that's exactly what it is. So they just bought an industrial a- AC unit, put it on the tower, put the ducting in there. They spent like 5 grand and that's how they keep the satellite cool and they didn't sp- and everybody else is like, and so when you, when you talk about how these other companies, it's not so much that SpaceX has this secret sauce. It's SpaceX has a problem-solving capability that's harder for them to implement.
0: Well, uh so this kind of makes me uh, think we could take as long as you want on this side loop, but um One time on a panel show, I got into a heated exchange with science fiction author uh, uh, Jerry Purnell, where he was very much against the reliance on just-in-time management. Uh, He felt like it was a weakness that eventually was really going to bite America, the world in the butt. And I made the counter-argument that it's like, well, you know what else relies on just-in-time management? My lungs, my heart, my liver, you know, my physical body operates as though those oxygen rich red blood cells are going to show up and over the last few years i can't deny that we've had some nasty run-ups of costs of things and and challenges specifically because just-in-time ban- management suddenly didn't work uh, or what's that
1: just-in-time manufacturing
0: oh, manufa- oh m- management and manufacturing because like in the case of um Uh, let's say, toilet paper. There was a brief run on toilet paper. It wasn't that we couldn't make enough. And right now we're experiencing that with baby formula. And uh, according to economists, they're fast to point out, this is because nobody wants to be seen for the bad PR disaster of raising the costs of baby formula. So instead, nobody raises the costs. And as a result, everybody buys as much as they can. And and we can't get enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, and as a result, especially for people like like my daughters who have food allergies, uh, all of a sudden, you know, if, if they were younger, I would have been the guy saying, I will pay 10x the price if you will just give me this one that is manufactured in a facility that has never touched a peanut or, or what have you.
1: Yeah, I like to your point about that. It, 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 it when you had China at this when china was going through this extreme growth rate of like building factories every minute and expanding 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 you can look at this and say there is going to be a moment this is going to flat there is going to be this is going to drop off and it's going to be more gradual but in that uptake when that uptake when you're like oh there is a new manufacturer for something you need every other day it kind of made sense to take advantage of just in time uh, you know management of like inventory management and product manufacturing it took it made sense because you're like oh there is more people willing to supply. The supply is way outstripping the demand. There's always going to be more supply. And we we thought that we made the mistake of thinking that the future is just the version, a bigger version of the present when in reality, like, no, that's going to curve. There's going to be a point where they can only create so many factories that are competing for each other and they're going to start competing on price and then they're going to start dropping out and then we're going to get you know, disruptions like we have now and scarcity issues and all of a sudden that all falls apart. Um, that's, you know... That's the problem is I think Purnell's point is Purnell was being a much older guy who's lived through shortages and things like this, have seen that cycle. His attitude is like, yeah, it'll be good. You know, it might be good for five, 10 years. But then when it's not, it'll be a disaster.
0: Yeah. And and I must admit, look, uh, past three years have not been any kind of picnic, but... Uh, uh I, I, starvation deaths don't seem to be the leading cause of people passing. It's, you know, it's stuff like refusal to take a vaccine, not to provoke anyone. But um, uh, the uh, I I, I suppose it was it was fascinating. Like ten years ago, I had never seen a shortage of anything in my life except for Transformers, Cabbage Patch dolls, and Star Wars figurines. Uh, I, I, the very concept was strange to me. Instead, over the next twenty years, all I saw was people complaining about too many choices, choice paralysis. There's no way we can know which Smucker's brand jam to pick when there's so many. This is terrible. Uh, and then, um, and then, uh, I don't know. Having just a little bit of a taste makes me reconsider that position.
1: I think. I think it's a matter of. I, I think it. It's. You have to be, you have to pay attention to the world and not so much the experts, because like, like I said, I think Just in Time worked for certain things for a period of time, but then you could sort of predict, you know, the thing that we have going into, you know, we talk about how we know we have shortages. In theory, there probably will be a glut at a certain point because there might be an overproduction on stuff. Uh, Other things, maybe not so, uh, but you know, as far as, you know, back to like how you make decisions, like you have to think differently about this, I guess, kind of the scale you want to go to. So like you and I running kind of small businesses compared to a Tesla, we have to think about like, you know, but even still we see inventory. I realized like with me, with my products that I would rather pay $3 to have something made and make a $2 profit than pay a buck 50 and make like, you know, 350 profit if I don't have to have any inventory on my shelf. Right. Because I don't have to make predictions about the future. Once I got rid of how to make predictions about the future and I could just keep whatever I needed in supply or just do on demand, I made much less money, per item, but I could grow faster. You know, and there's a lot of these sort of counterintuitive things about business where the conventional wisdom says this, but you're like, "Okay, but here's this other condition" and you'd be like, "Oh, change everything like like apple people go like well apple orders from all these manufacturers like apple apple rents floor space and lets them handle the hiring. Like Apple computer screens and Apple stuff like this, Apple owns the machines. Apple will own the machines on these things are made on. They will lend the money to the manufacturer to do this. Like Apple controls way more of their product line than people realize. There's a reason Tim Cook is running Apple and that is he was Mr. Logistics. He understood the reality of logistics. You hear stories about how Apple would like book entire flights, always has X number of seats reserved on flights to China because they've got to keep the things going. They've got to keep the product flowing. And you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to rely on my contact over there and somewhere else to make sure that I'm getting my product. Apple is keen to that.
0: Well, and uh, uh, to loop things back to the original bidding question with NASA, like ultimately NASA, NASA doesn't care how you get human bodies living to the space station. They just care that you can. If somebody had a crazy scheme that evolved seven giant uh, aluminum balloons that uh, with a platform and a rocket that you know got yeah. up to the stratosphere and then took off from there if if it worked and was reliable and was cheapest then it's like uh, all NASA cares about is do they arrive do they arrive safe great um when it comes to the just in time management uh you're right i'm i'm not a fan of holding on to inventory either but what we've noticed in uh, this is getting into more kind of after things territory, but what we've noticed is oftentimes we try to map a story that needs a certain product, and maybe that product just is not available anymore. Then that doesn't mean that our version of the product is dead. What it means is, is there another version of the story we can tell that involves another item? in and, and try to make it happen. Sometimes, like in, in some cases, it means we reach out and say, hey, how come you don't make this thing anymore? And they're like, oh, well, we made them for this other reason. And it's like, well, would you make them for us? And they're like, I don't know. What do you want it to say? Oh, it could say something. And, you know, then you discover things that you didn't even know were were possible. But, but yeah, in general, holding inventory, not great.
1: Yeah. And there are times where it's the only choice you have. And I think that the the thing that there was a story, if you watch uh, the documentary about the guy who created Jelly Belly, the Jelly Belly Jelly Beans, this guy was an inventor, candy inventor his whole life, he comes up with this hit, Jelly Belly, and the way it's told in the documentary, there might be more to it, but the manufacturer that was making his Jelly Bellies came to him and said, we, we're buying your company, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I don't want to sell, like, nope, we're buying you, or it's no more Jelly Beans, and oh wow. He, that's as the story was told. And he was in this position where he's like, what do you do when the person actually making your product says this? And it's like, well, that's why uh, a lot of times um, you have to have two sources. Like in manufacturing, one of the things is make sure you have two sources to get something because of that exact, exact problem, where all of a sudden your manufacturer says, we're going to raise your price. What do you do and it's one of the reasons arguments for markets the the beauty of markets is it keeps that kind of extortion it keeps that problem you're like no there should only be one candy manufacturer why do we need many like well somebody wants to raise prices what do you do you have no choice so but it's a very interesting story where like basically that that's that version is jelly billy is no longer his company because the manufacturer's like we like this company it's ours
2: wow
0: uh i'll tell you industry Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one industry where there's one monopol- monopoly and it's great is. Oh, yeah? Uh, this show Ooh. the only place to get it is here from us huh? uh, three out of four hosts agree <laughs> you only yep. need three hosts for weird
2: things <laughs> i'm the one that disagrees <laughs> <laughs> two out of four <laughs> agree no justin would be here <laughs> uh yeah join us at patreon.com slash weird things get after things uh, uh a little bit earlier than everybody else our podcast all about being creative professionals talking about behind-the-scenes stuff, all the stuff that we're doing here. Uh, and it all gets into one easy feed, no logins. Uh, everybody hates logins. So check it out, patreon.com slash weirdthings. Thank you.
1: So we got a really cool email. Uh, somebody sent this to us because they spotted this on a forum, and one of our one of our readers had done a little bit of sleuthing, and I think has a very plausible explanation. Uh, Bryce, do you have the story in front? Do you want me to read it?
2: Uh, yeah. Can you please read it? I'm pulling it up now.
1: Okay, so... Uh, this person saw this on a Facebook post and was somebody reporting an animal sighting. And so this was not our listener, but our listeners saw this and then has their theory on this. And they write the, 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 the post was from a, I don't want to say the name cause I don't know if we should say it not. but my fiance and I, fiance were just cruising around on a late night drive. I think we're on Sherman or at least very close to Sherman. I don't know where that is. We are going down the end of that. It's surrounded by trees on the left side and houses on the right towards where you can turn left to green Hills. We saw a black figure that looked like the size of a person, pretty thin, but running on all fours. It looked bipedal and so much like a thin person, full speed, sprinting on their hands and feet. But it looked right at us, and its eyes were glowing a red-orange. Its hind legs were definitely longer than its front legs. It ran from the tree line into a yard with a white house. When we passed, we couldn't see where it went to, fi- went to figure out what the hell it was. I can't imagine what kind of animal it could have been other than a bear, and definitely not a healthy one at that. Are there bears up here? And if so, are they really that close to town? We were both in shock, scared the hell out of us. We immediately headed home and did not stick around to figure out what the F it was.
0: So, we, we like to flip the switch between playing the credulous role and the detective role. Which, mm-hmm. which one do you want
2: to play during this? Me? Uh, both of us. Uh, uh, I kind of, I've seen, I got this, seen our, this. Yeah, this email went through me. So, I've seen this.
0: Oh, wait, wait. So, so, so there is an
1: answer. Well, we have – we don't have an answer. Our, our, we have an idea. Uh, okay. RJ, RJ, who sent this to us, RJ Jackson, sent us his very convincing theory of what this is.
0: Well, uh, so before before we get to something that likely is the answer, let me uh, speculate with, with the way my my brain works. Yeah, take a shot. Um, take a shot at it. Go so it. so give it a sh- uh, 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 first of all, uh, sure, maybe a critter nobody has seen before, but, but more importantly – Let's call it a critter that the writer is unfamiliar with before. Uh, and let's take it to uh, the specifics that they're thinking of. Uh, said it looked and moved like a bear. I don't know what a very thin, emaciated, ill bear would look like, mm. but wow. I would imagine it might look like a human loping forward. glowing eyes, That that part I can imagine. Uh, Eye shine, you know, dilated eyes, having something light shining at them and reflecting back. Mm. I can even going a step farther. Me personally, Brian Brushwood, we did an episode where I learned how to walk on stilts. I immediately thought I should also get the arm stilt things so I could walk around like a a giraffe in the Broadway production of The Lion King. Mm. Uh, This is a real thing. Me personally, I would do. If I were to do it on an unpopulated road, it might occur to me to stealth up and and wear all black or do something crazy. Now, all of this is fairly unlikely for most humans, but not very unlikely for me personally, Brian Brushwood. So uh, 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 this is what I say about UFOs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't understand a thing that should when you don't understand why a thing is happening, that should be the end of the road. But instead, mm. people don't like getting to the end of the road and not having an answer, yeah. so they tend to just say, Aliens. "It's an
2: alien," right? right. You know, they right. make up an answer. They right. find right. an answer to craft pe- an answer. because it feels better, yeah, right?
0: Absolutely. But whereas whereas I am totally comfortable hitting <laughs> the end of the road and saying, "Yep, don't know," uh, but 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 but. Even this story, I, I can picture a quirky someone like Brian Brushwood or an emaciated bear. Uh, that's that's all I got. Uh,
1: I, I think all are could be likely the clip that RJ sent us, I think, shows us, too, that when you see something late at night or whatever, the fact that the thing that stood out to me in the story is that it ran around a house into a yard. And that applies to me. Pet.
2: Yes. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: a, a place something running home. Yeah. And so, uh, Bryce, do you have a video?
2: Yes, we do. So, uh, this is a oh,
1: Scottish... That's
2: a beautiful dog. It is. It is a Scottish deerhound, and it def, if you've ever seen... If you've seen the pictures of, uh, like, where they've taken a bear and shaved it, it kind of looks like that. It's got medium-length hair, not long, not... Uh, not short either Well, uh
0: pick picture an extremely shaggy greyhound I mean it yeah. it is it, it is a very thin pup.
2: thin and it is pretty bi- it does look like a big dog where it's in a field so we can't really get a good scale but uh hey this looks like a this looks like a thin bear
0: uh, or 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 a weird uh, uh hellhound or something um uh once I think that's part of the reason we see. Oftentimes, uh, things that are supposed to be chupacabras or what have you Mm -hmm. turn out to be emaciated or manged, um, uh, more common critters. Uh, I want to say on Reddit recently, I saw there was a success story of somebody who had inherited a uh, like a cairn hound or something that that was that was like about to starve to death. And that is a real thing that you would see. Mm. uh, uh, But 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 it had markings on its face that were white patches that looked like the shape of a skull and also it was skeletal at the time. So it's like, yeah, no, I I would believe seeing something like that and thinking it's a demon dog or something.
2: Yeah. Gosh. And then you mix in the, yeah, you mix in the light iris, you know, the red eye effect that animals have. The eye shine. Very, very pronounced. Like totally. That makes more sense than a, a thin bear. Or, a bear that is, like, starved or, ke- like... And, and, and it's so
0: funny because, like, I walked right past it being a more common animal uh, based on the nature of the story. Like Like, once you anchor any kind of crazy idea, it's very hard every time you tell the story and use the words, you know, like a guy with extra long arms or like a bear that was extra tall and lanky yeah uh,
2: like like uh this is uh, uh thank you to icu who found this this is a picture of one of those no-haired bears what and wow. that that kind of looks like a dog that kind of looks like a stumpy little dog doesn't it
0: it and, well and it definitely looks uh alien or or almost human like like uh oh yeah
2: because it's kind of got hair
0: well and, and because look at the musculature like if if you put on a baggy trash bag suit and an alien face yeah that that could be a very talented uh,
2: Broadway puppeteer. Someone worn Missy Misdemeanor Elliott. <laughs> she famously wore a trash bag. Okay, okay good. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know if we were being offensive no, or not.
1: <laughs> famously she wore a trash bag on the red carpet. <laughs> I yeah, I remember when I took the photo of the mangy raccoon in the park that looked like a chupacabra and was just that dude, poor raccoon. I'm like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what happened. I just got no hair. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, like
2: even domestic animals, like, my favorite Twitter account lately has been cats being weird little dudes. And it's just pictures of cats in weird positions because cats and animals are just flexible and they're weird little guys. Yeah.
0: Boy, oh, boy, are we quick to notice and acknowledge when an animal moves in an unusual way that is pleasant or happy, uh, man. Oh, man! Do we not want to admit those are our household pets when they move in a way that is freaky and weird? Uh, and uh, Bryce, if you don't mind calling up my my Twitter history, somebody I I tweeted out um, that my Weimaraner, whenever I uh, we go in the back acreage and I throw rocks, she very rarely finds them in the tall grass. But uh, but when she when I hold one up, she she does this tap dance thing. Uh, and, uh, Hmm. somebody recently put, uh, the Belle Biv DeVoe poison song to it (laughs) and it was, it was very, very funny, but, but, but there was something about that tap dancing motion that again, it triggers the, aw cute dog who is doing something human-like and cute. But if it's, there it is, (laughs) 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 but, but, but when it's not cute, who boy is easy to just think alien.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah I mean we uh I remember one I mean this was a segment from many many years ago but I remember on this show uh I, you were kind of leading this topic Andrew but the idea of uh yeah the what the European dragon is uh is mm-hmm. probably may have just been an alligator in an unfamiliar crocodile. Yeah. Or crocodile in the wrong biome
1: you have because mm-hmm. you had stories a lot of them come from like Turkey and places like this that just a thousand or two thousand years ago you had a Medieval Warm Period, and then you had the the Roman Warm Period, would have been very entirely possible for you to have had crocodiles and things that have, would have incurred their way up there. Yeah. Um, so to me, it seems very likely. Uh, and, and the thing that we make the mistake of when we think about history is we just look at our globe and we imagine it, you know, with different lines. When you know there is, you know, one of the southernmost islands in the British Isles used to be a Roman farm. You go there now, like, where's the farm? It's underwater. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's that's what happens from sea level and erosion. These things change. You know, the stories of uh, Atlantis and the stories of uh, lost city of Z is, uh, I forget the name of it, but you know, there is probably there was part of the partly part of the English coast, like a city along a shelf that just fell in, you know, is I think YS just probably just fell into the sea once. you know, like maybe been like left 1200 years ago. And like, what happened to them? Don't know. Went there, wasn't there? Yeah, so
0: wild. Boy, oh boy, do humans not like that end of the story? Of who knows? <laughs> we don't know.
2: <laughs> it's all gone forever. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, that's why. Uh, uh, no, go ahead. That was my. No, thing please. Was uh, I, I, was going to Stanley say maybe that's why people are like a little obsessed with blockchains right now. The idea of like very permanent history and not just history but A public but ledger that
0: is that is globalized and so redundant that that there, there's
2: data somewhere they so you someone can figure out the data eventually but it's, I, well, look, I, it's I, so hard to I, do i've that.
0: mentioned this before uh the sequel to sapiens by uh uh Yuval harari uh was uh homo deus and um i believe it was in that book that he was talking about uh, uh as a religion dataism the the idea that don't worry about it. It's all recorded somewhere. And mm. just by the numbers, there's not enough mass on the earth to record everything that happens for the next hundred years. And and yet, and yet yes, we might come up with co- uh, clever compression algorithms. It's holographic compression, whatever. But... That was a sobering fact for me because I just I just assumed, and and there, there's a little bit of a bias because we have the kind of community that is so <laughs> diligent and good about uh, grabbing great moments and holding on to them, and yeah. you know, uh, if, and one of us can ask which was the episode where the something 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 happens, sure. and there's enough redundancy that we can find it,
2: but and uh, like uh, you know in execution it is even it is less scarier right like we people people take a sense of like what do we need to actually preserve like like when i do marbles the database thing that i use is not very high performance so i can't keep track of everything that i would love to keep track of just because the thing would be too slow like um and so i just have to decide like i just need to lose data right here and And, and and there's a certain amount of that that people we will have to do it on their own.
0: Here's the bizarre part is um, uh, emotionally because we're, we're, you know, flawed wetware beings. Uh, are we okay with the idea that as long as you know, the starting conditions, you know, how many players there were the shape of the course and the order in which people won, Maybe that's all you need because everything else could be interpolated similar to like a low resolution, you know, uh, VGA photo of Obama can be upscaled to 4K, 60 frames per second, doing a thing Mm. like as long as it pretty much is right. Is that OK?
2: And then you think of morally, like like what is the difference of because this is a thing in in video games right now with um, DLSS, right? You can have your graphics card. Uh, upscale and and algorithmically figure out what your 1080p picture should look like in 4k, and it mostly works. It's a little fuzzy, but it mostly works. Uh, what is the power and the the time and that it takes to to develop and run an engine like that versus putting a few more transistors in there to make it more powerful natively? And uh, there's going to be answers on on for for both use cases. But that's kind of where we're at. Is when can machines Approximate uh, 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 data. Uh, Bryce, I'm almost certain
0: you've brought this up before, but aren't there aren't there video cards that are using eye tracking to only bother to render the parts of the screen that you're looking at? Or... Foveated
1: that's rendering. That's
2: generally how rendering uh, is done. Yeah, not in meat space, but in the in the camera in space. V- here.
0: VR and so on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and that's you know that has been a a, a part of 3D rendering for. Three or live 3D rendering for a while now, so we 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 do tend to compress to figure out how to get data around in the right time. But it, I tell you, it takes a while.
1: My story about
0: foveated rendering uh, is 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 this the one where where you figured out very quickly the trick to make it
1: feel like you're in a bigger room than you were in?
0: Oh no, this was
1: I was talking to uh, talking to James Randy, and we we're talking about in in the library at the James Randy Foundation, and talking about this, and Randy was talking about pointing this out about how the, the there's the fovea and there's the paraphobia outside of it and then peripheral vision and explaining that. And I'm like, you know, I was I was like playing with the video toaster at the time and all that, and it was so compression heavy. I'm like, I wonder, this is early 1990s. And I'm like, I wonder if you could just solve, if it'd be easier to compress if you just compressed because of, based on fovea rendering. So I go in there and I mm. do like, IBM had the patent search back then. So I go to the IBM patent search and this would imply that it had been at work for years, but literally the patent had been applied for a month before.
2: Oh, wow. So
1: not that I would never beat anybody on that, but it sure, was sure, that, sure. that, but, that but, right time, that right sort of question. Uh, yeah. uh,
0: this is sort of the, uh, uh, in a historical context, the great man versus the right time theory. You know, it's like, did this happen because this great leader happened to show up and make it happen? Or did, did it not matter if mm-hmm. it wasn't this guy, it would have been somebody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think because of, It it was an obvious sort of place to go to when you're trying to figure out how to compress and what. How do you? Where would you go with the algorithm? So clearly, other people had thought of it, but it was a very. But then it sort of faded for a while, and then I saw it pop again with VR. Like, oh, we'll just we're going to use this method of only rendering where the eyes looking. It's like, yeah, it's.
0: Well, and, and, and we, we, we had already kind of seen a precursor of that 20 years ago, uh, uh, th- almost 30 years ago, with MP3s. Basically, it's like you take the range of sounds that human ears can hear, and it's like just chop up above this, chop below that. All of a sudden, it's a lot simpler. And then reduce the sampling rate, uh, you know, to something tolerable yep. to where you could dist- distinguish voices. Yeah. Yep.
2: yep. It's uh, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, we're we're like in an, we're compression man.
1: Learn it. I'm going to show you something cool. If you go to a YouTube channel, okay. I don't think I've talked about this company, this group before, but it's First Light Fusion, hmm. and there is a lot of different companies, more companies than ever, are working on trying to solve the problem of fusion and coming up with different approaches. Like uh, this is
0: me professing my ignorance. I know there there's a problem with fusion. Uh, 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 And I uh, largely to do with containment of massive temperatures and efficiency. Beyond that, I really don't know what the problem of fusion is.
1: Well, that that's just it is that it takes a tremendous amount of energy to start the process. And if you don't capture enough energy, then you're not it's not a surplus of energy. It's negative. And yeah, yeah. And so there are trying to contain stuff. I ro- I watched, there's a video from like 20 years ago uh, where, uh, uh the guy that bussard who came up with the bussard ramjet who is one of the pioneers of fusion technology actually one of the pioneers of the tokamak design spoke at google and talked about no this design is not is a dead end we shouldn't be pursuing this yet that still is like all the major fusion initiatives are still using the the tokamak ring design and he's like because we're so focused on this we're missing out on all the other ways we could reach fusion And and those projects are sort of run by people who've been part of those projects for 20 or 30 years. And that's one of the problems of legacy science is that if you bring in like, hey, here's a new approach, like, no, we've got a, you know, my job now is to keep $300 million a year coming into this facility. There is no money for this other thing. Well, what if this doesn't work? My job is the employees and the people working here right now, not to actually solve the problem the thing you think i'm trying to solve that's really what i'm trying to do so there are a lot of companies that are privately funded that are working towards different systems um doing different kinds of you know containment this is pretty neat because first light has says that they've they've had some promising results it's a uk company what they use is if you see if you go back to that image there you'll see this uh this clear this clear plastic cube Basically, they put their fusible element inside of there, and then they basically use a gun to shoot this thing, and it creates a shock wave that surrounds it and compresses it. And then they have this curtain of, uh, like, a lithium curtain—I forget what it is—that captures the energy from it. So, if you see some videos there, so they're basically—they're right now—they're using a gun that's like, like, literally like a powdered charge. But they're gonna sh- they're gonna switch to a railgun type thing, and you can see another graphic they show where this thing being just dropped and shot down, and how it just explodes. And so, it's like once every second or couple seconds, they would be you know combusting one of these.
0: So, uh, uh, for- forgive my reductionist attempt to understand. Uh, uh, similar to Fat Man and Little Boy, were two different f- uh, fission bombs. One mm-hmm. was so obviously going to work that they never even tested it that's quite literally just it we're, we're just going to punch a chunk of uranium so hard it's going to cause a chain reaction and explode that that was little boy uh whereas fat man was we're going to do a series of synchronized detonated charges on a larger thing that is going to compress and, and explode uh, uh, to, okay. to, to to the best of your understanding andrew do i have that much right
1: Fat Man was the implosion-type bomb, and then Little Boy, again, I I get them confused... I, um,
0: I I think if, if, if somebody correct us. Uh, 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 where are we writing?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, uh, ch- check the show notes, neshcom at gmail.com, weird things and stuff.
0: So, likewise, what we're seeing is sort of a right now, we're seeing a sloppy attempt at fu- or sloppy confirmation of fusion with just straight up some kind of explosive chemical reaction that, that hits hard enough to cause fusion. Uh, but who knows how much of that energy is being captured or whatever. But a real gun would be a much more energy efficient way to reach a projectile hitting the same speed, and if it was in the right medium, where fusion could be achieved, and more importantly, all of that um, uh, that curtain of energy uh, as motion could be captured and converted into electricity or uh, potential energy of, of, of your liking. And it,
1: it, is yeah, that I mean, anywhere close? Yeah, I mean their their goal is you know to, to create fusion. You got to take your, your your take your material, which could you know generally is deuterium. Some places using beryllium. Compress it and then squeeze it together, so you get your helium, and then you get your your energetic reaction and producing the other material from that. Um, and so here's a diagram showing the way this thing works, where it's using basically the yeah, inside of this plastic block or this medium. It's using just the the shock waves are so powerful. So you see the thing explode, and there's like a, that's a curtain of like a chemical that captures the heat, and then it just oh, got keeps it. dropping.
0: So, got it. So in this case, we're converting the, the the fusion is converted into heat energy that can be yep. used to pa- power more traditional uh, turbine turbine
1: engines. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep.
2: Wow. That's a uh, uh, that's you know what what is exciting is that they have uh, seems like they have a new industrial design for this. I mean there are f- there are fusion there is fusion but it's not efficient or it's uh net negative. So yeah, m- more ideas is better because uh once
1: we solve that, man. And woo! it's a very different you look at this is what's crazy about fusion. And the thing that I liked about this like I don't know if they're going to reach I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I mean conceptually is you look at the the large we talk about the tokamak reactors which are these big huge torus-shaped electromagnets using superconducting magnets that are then, like, basically able in, to confine... In my, eye,
0: in my mind, I always think of the Stark uh, uh, arc reactors yeah. when I'm picturing that.
1: Well, it, But here, it's literally a few... Uh, it's a plastic... Or it's a cube a couple centimeters across with the material you're trying to fuse inside of it and then, a, like, a, a copper disk that gets smashed into there and creates the shock wave inside of there so it gets surrounded by either side and all... It, it's so much energy it has to sort of... It's wow. a very, you know, very I, amazing sort of idea. Yeah,
0: You know, what's funny is like, uh, okay, so if this works reliably, the first thing I think of is like, oh my gosh, an actual fusion reaction, that's going to be too much energy. It's going to break out of uh, whatever cage it's in. But but really, if you have a, a stable medium, all you have to do is just make a big enough collection of the medium that it can absorb all of it where – you know, I don't know, I'm making, at this point I'm making stuff up, but, um, you know, I could picture an Olympic sized swimming pool of the medium that raises one degree centigrade every time, uh, this, this fires, and then eventually it gets hot enough that you're able to power turbines.
1: Yeah. I, my prediction, weird things, audience, and hold me to it by the end of this decade, we're going to have practical fusion. I'm not saying it's going to be widely deployed and that you're going to be getting it on your outlet, but I'm going to say that we're going to have fusion that is capable of working in an industrial capacity by the end of this decade.
0: Uh, you know what? I'll double down on your prediction and say somebody out there will be against it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I'm well, going to bet
2: a, <laughs> I'm gonna, it rhymes with Mexon.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Matt Ridley has an article that talks about like the biggest fear is going to be the regulatory would be that if we have it and then we shut it, it should be treated like an industrial and not like a nuclear energy. It should be treated like an industrial, any other industrial sort of like industry coal should be treated. Or a hydroelectric well no not those get those are heavily regulated. Like like I have a power like like, I don't make microwaves. You know, yeah. I run an industrial microwave somewhere, you know, so that you're not you're not being regulated to hell.
0: That that would be some now you you could couch that as, and I'm sure somebody will, as nuclear sleight of hand, but also uh it would be accurate to couch it that way and would maybe spare us half a century of misinformation uh, uh it's it's astonishing to me that we have we have nuclear fission plants that run on the waste of other nuclear fission plants uh, and 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 that um uh just the pr problem is, is what is yeah, keeping us we, from a very green had, energy.
1: Had we gone nuclear back when we should have gone nuclear, we wouldn't be as worried about climate change as we are now. And that's part of the thing is the same of the same people who are, ah, the climate change, like, cool. Can we go nuclear? No. Uh, you know. The-
0: well, and uh, now, uh, I, I, to 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 be fair and steel man the other side, we don't know how many – uh, how many scary moments there might be in the alternate future where we did ten times as many nuclear plants as we've uh, done? But I do know, I do know that we've built entire ready-to-function nuclear fission plants that just never got the regulatory approval, and now they're museums of what a nuclear we, plant would look it, like.
1: Uh, and and we, the problem we've had too is a number of the nuclear, like Fukushima and these other ones, were because we. Because the industry was so slowed down, it was hard to add the improvements. Like the way we design it today, the way we would design a brand new plant in 1990 would be different than the way it was in 1970. But these 1970s plants were kept online because you couldn't build the new plants. And that was part of the problem. It's like, hey, we don't like cars. We're not going to allow any cars designed after 1970 on the road. Well, cars would be very dangerous and inefficient, you know? And so, like, yeah, there would act mistakes would be made. But if you ask, like, well, which would be worse, you know, the math is clearly on the side of who would have been better off the nuclear future.
0: And I too am on your side. uh, But, 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 uh, uh, I in fact I think most of our audience is already all I on know.
2: this. I'm about to say agree. like, we're this is the third week in a row that we're running and not being chased on nuclear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I would yeah. say that but the looking but point is to say though is that the, the scary thing though is that I think we, we like, yeah, we see we we're at the point like, oh, we could see this happening. Now we see, oh yeah, but somebody's gonna try to shut this down or they're gonna do this. Uh, what about this risk? What about the containment walls or whatever? It's like great. Here we go. Uh but Think about a future that has really has abundant energy. That promise, this is the first, a first to scale we get now. You can see the little ladder in the corner there. You know, what is a future like when energy really is too cheap to meter?
0: Uh I'll tell you one thing that definitely changes is a lot of the um legitimate gripes about uh uh let's say cryptocurrencies or what have you about them being uh energy hogs uh, go away um, that's all i got right now i'll have to yeah, think more and no,
2: and fair. and that you know that assumes that like the power grid goes fully fusion right away or you know it doesn't take 200 years to replace coal or oil with what is on paper a very safe area should be a very effective generation yep. of power source
0: Yo, you got any picks? I
1: have. Oh, I don't... picks. I've, I've got a pick. Yeah. Oh, Chris Price. Yeah.
2: There we go. Okay. Um. Yes. Uh. This I found this on YouTube. I have been watching a lot of YouTube lately, and uh, one thing that YouTube has been uh recommending me is a lot of video game content, like uh, essays and little history bits. And uh, the one that I really enjoyed, I watched the other night, it's about a half hour, um, is from a creator called uh, Hummeldon, Hummeldon uh, called Spyro's Hidden Gem of a Category, The Art of speedrunning. Running. Um, and uh, he basically talks about this, uh, if you know about video game speedrunning, usually it's how do you finish the game as fast as possible or get everything in the game as fast as possible. And this was a joke category made in 2015 uh, for the original Spyro, the dragon game, where you have to go into every level and as quick as possible reach the exit point of the level. Because normally people don't bother with the exit because you can just leave wherever. So it becomes a little bit of a race. And over the years, people have, it started as a joke. and people start as a joke and then they really want to figure it out and the other part is like it's only like a 20 minute run so it ends up being fast compared to the normal traditional runs that are hours long um it's it's a it's a really good story and uh very well like good animations and graphics the narration's very good uh they even he even talks about the <laughs> in the production of the video uh, a new world record was set for this category. It gets it's in the end there, but um, it's really interesting. Uh, I highly recommend it. We'll have it in the show notes. But uh, uh,
0: yeah, speedrunning. Uh, running along those like same that. lines. I think I think I had plugged it before, but there was somebody who had done a explanation of why this one particular video was and always will be the fastest speed run of Super Mario. Uh specifically, because mm. the difference possible, like he by the pixel identifies how much better you could get, and that ends up being less than one frame and so because of that you will never see anything faster than
2: this and and you know that and that's a game that's been run a big, lot billions of times right, yeah. and there's so much more of that being explored as older games either get remade or emulation gets possible. There's another channel I watched a lot of. Uh, over the week called ng plus and uh uh their whole thing is like can you beat this game in a certain weird way and it's like that they theoretically go through and can you do it can you not do it how could you um and a lot of it requires them breakthroughs and just playing it and breaking these games a lot it's really uh it's really cool so check it out uh, Brian, you gotta cool.
0: pick. Yeah, dude. Uh, I got a pick. It's a hot
2: new cartoon from
0: Disney called Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. <laughs> oh uh, man, that looks
1: fun. Uh,
0: oh wait, am I talking about the, old, the old show one? from the nineteen nineties? Nineteen eighty? No, I'm. T- I'm, I'm <gasps> talking about. I'm talking about uh, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, the movie that's <gasps> on Disney Plus right now. Uh uh, uh, uh. Here's a tip: if you think it's funny that a Chip and Dale movie would open with a tenacious D montage song. Uh, then yes, you would be right, and also you might like this show. Uh, It's great. Uh, There is a whole bunch of just cameos on cameos on cameos, and there's a little bit of, like, uh, ooh, I recognize that or whatever. The amount of legal negotiations that must have happened in the background. Like, Randy from South Park shows up in a moment. Like, right now in in, in the scene that we're seeing right now. And that's just, Jimmy Neutron. Uh, yep. That's Pink see, Panther. That's, that's right. That's right. That's, that's, that's right.
2: the Keyblade from Kingdom Hearts.
0: Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a controversy because in the lower right, you'll see a hairstyle that appears to have been traced from some fan art of Kingdom oh. Hearts. Uh, looks like somebody... Try to phone it in over a weekend. Uh, Doesn't matter. There's just so much there. Uh, I loved it. Uh, uh, If if, uh, one of my favorite bits was seeing fan culture, the Comic-Con, Dragon-Con experience there, Um, Ugly Sonic shows up as played by uh, uh, Tim Robinson from I Think You Should Leave. It's great. It's great. I've watched it twice. Nice. Oh, wow.
2: Uh, with that, is that in the theaters? Uh, you have to go
0: Disney, to the Plus.
2: Disney Plus, oh,
1: okay. Disney Plus, uh, you saw who directed it, uh, yeah, uh,
0: uh Akiva, something other from L- uh, Lonely Schaefer. Island,
1: right? Yeah, Akiva yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm glad to see they finally got you know, <laughs> finally, they made it. <laughs> <laughs> we knew you guys could do it, the talent was there. It was so, uh,
0: and uh, this is a significant spoiler if you're gonna watch it, don't listen to this, but. Uh, they spend a good 20 or 30 minutes talking about the big bad guy named uh, Sweet Pete. Sweet Pete is a uh, middle-aged Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, it's amazing. And mm. he's exactly the way you would picture
2: him. Mm. It's amazing. Oh, inter- oh, mm. I saw a screenshot. of It's so good.
1: <laughs> even... <laughs> My pick is... The movie "Buried." I never saw this before. Oh, the Ryan Reynolds movie. This came out like 2010. It takes place entirely inside of a coffin. You ever see this? No. Mm-mm. 90 minute film entirely inside of a coffin.
2: Well, now, now, so, now, Andrew, that sounds like there would not be a lot of um, space to play. Uh, uh, I yeah, but at least you'd be with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, got Ryan. This is, and this is early Iron Man. This is not quippy, fun, Ryan Riddles. This is Ryan Riddle's, I'm an actor. Somebody please Somebody recognize. please
0: cast me as the Green Lantern.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, it, uh, it Very engaging. The single location genre is fascinating to me. Um, Lifeboat by Alfred Hitchcock, 12 Angry Men. Those are other examples of that. This is literally, when I say Inside the Coffin, inside the coffin and you can like how would this be entertaining and i was i was very interested throughout and so uh kind of kind of really crazy to be able to pull that off
2: i would be interested to see if they've got like a making of featurette because like stage design is already very specific so that you can film they, with they, it but then doing it with a fake buried coffin i'm sure must be really uh particular they have uh, one
1: on the video I, I, 10 bucks
2: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager that
0: there's a fair bit of uh, crafts, uh, stagecraft where he's actually standing up, mainly because faces look weird when you're laying down. And if you're going to do a whole movie of someone's face, you probably want to figure out a way well, it's, they it's could be Ryan standing up.
2: It's Ryan and Reynolds' face. I mean, look though. at that he's
1: face.
0: Pretty. That's a standing up face. He's standing up
1: right now. I guarantee. No, nah, you'll you. see. Watch, watch the, the sand and all that. Trust me. He's yeah, done. if there yeah, weren't
2: okay. dirt and sand.
1: Yeah, maybe leaning back. Maybe, maybe this. Because guess what? You like, can watch the behind the scenes, Brian. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay <laughs> they go into this. So, anyhow, uh, uh, that's my pick, gentlemen.
2: Oh, Bryce. Uh, uh, yep. Uh oh. spiral. Spiral's oh, that's right. you said okay, it. I'm right.
1: bad. I'm bad. <laughs> It's been weird. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.